0: My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to discuss death and dying, grief and loss, uh, and the death of my own parents, and what's happening with grief. Why does it hurt so bad? Um, This is going to be a longer episode, I think. Um, This is a topic I do the most one-on-one stuff with, with clients at my day job. Um, but first, if you'd like to donate to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast through Patreon, or if you'd like to purchase the books or apparel, you can do all of that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com. And also, don't forget to follow on all the social media things. So, let's get started. my mom and dad were the two most important moments of my life. They were these two massive perspective shifting moments. Um, both of those events were like like every teaching, every book, every talk, everything I ever experienced uh, came, it all came to a head and just sank into my bones and, this brings, uh, this brings me to an interesting point, a point I was making in the previous episode. You can go ahead and eat all the mushrooms, uh, do all the yogas, you can stand on your head, you can sit in meditation, take all the plant medicine you want, but the things that are going to teach you are the things that are going to fucking hurt the most. So be really careful what you ask for. Uh, what's that old quote from uh, some Swami? Go ahead and ring your bells, light your candles, no, light your incense and call on God. But when he comes, he's going to bend you over his anvil and pound until you are pure gold. Um, I'm honestly scared for the next teaching. Um, When I look at the places that I haven't looked at yet, it scares me. Um, And these aren't places that I can just go voluntarily. Uh, They're places that I'll have to be led to. And the more I think about it, the more it terrifies me because I know that's how the teachings come. But I also realize uh, that fear is the ego and the thing that wants it to be easy or believes that it should be easy is also the ego. Um, The soul isn't concerned with it. You know, again, that's, what the practices are for right they train the mind to rest in awareness uh to rest in the soul um, if you hear any background noise it's pretty rainy here in south florida lately we have a tropical storm fred i think heading our way um but you know that's the thing uh some of us want to wake up and we think it happens with pretty colors and singing balls but that's not how it works. Um, I've learned that all these practices are really just mooring balls, uh, that we can anchor to during the storm or more accurately, they train the mind to remain still during the storm or, or loose rather. Um, I mean, think about it. Like, what are you going to be able to do from your deathbed? Huh? You know, um, we always forget that the spiritual practices are essentially teaching us to die. That's, That's why death is such a focus, or at least, you know, it is in other countries. Um, Not so much here. You know, there's that saying, you know, you die twice, right? Um, So, my parents. um, hmm. My parents died about 14 or 15 years apart, so obviously uh, each was different. Um, My dad died first, but both were priceless, to say the least. They... um, You know, when I really think about it, I'm glad my my dad died first because um, my mom's death was the deepest, and I believe I was able to get the most out of my mom's death due to where my practice was at at the time. Um, So I'm going to attempt to elaborate on that a bit, Um, but first I'd like to read, uh, this is the post from the Infinite Spark of Being Instagram page that I put up a few days after my mom's death. So, um, see, my mother dropped her body on Sunday after three weeks in the hospital, though I do not share much personal or personality stuff here, I'd like to say this. My practice did not fail me. I did not need to be reminded. I did not need to recall it. It was just there. My mind stayed steady and present and my body stayed relaxed. I watched the process unfold. I didn't push, I didn't pull, and I didn't grab. I was just present. We had a very nice time, though she was in discomfort and at times in pain. We sat, held hands, and just said, I love you over and over. When her consciousness started to loop around and go here and there, I went too. I followed and she would lead. Did the dog shit yet? I don't think so. Okay. On to the next one. She was like a frail little girl with me. She was no longer Mother Ness. She let that go. One night, I was holding... Sorry. On the last night, she was holding my hand with both hands. I sang the singing portion of the Chinreze practice to her over and over. She hummed it as well, though she had never heard it. It was nice. At 10 p.m., I got up to leave. She was sleeping. She opened one eye, and I said, If you get a chance to jump, jump, okay? She nodded. I said, I love you kissed her forehead and left at 12 a.m the nurse called to say her o2 levels had dropped and that i needed to come back that was it that was the air element leaving the last one i watched as each element left over the weeks the doctors would say she was doing great but i knew that she was dropping the body I would tell my cousin and she would nod. My cousins are like sisters to me. I'm an only child and I could not have done this without them. They always support me. The spiritual practice starts out as an ego trip, as self help. But the more you dedicate yourself, the deeper you go you realize that all of the letting go is preparation for death. We will die and we must let go. It is going to happen to all of us. We practice letting go of things, then the body, then the bodies of others, then our own body. Not always skillfully, but letting go nonetheless. Take your practice seriously. Study, study, study and it will take care of you." So I hadn't read that in a while. Um, I definitely didn't read it over when I posted it. (laughs) Um, Definitely hadn't read it today, but uh, it brings me back to the idea of practice being our mooring ball or anchor. Um, Something else I'd like to say. I'm I'm not a grateful person. What I mean by that is I don't really get into gratitude. Um, I don't write gratitude lists. I don't, you know, uh, the definition of gratitude is the quality of being thankful, uh, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. I I don't really think about it. Uh, things work out because they work out or because I worked really hard for it. However, um, when it came time, um, when it came to that time that with my mom, like, I definitely was grateful. Um, I feel like it was the first time I felt real, true gratitude. I mean, like, I've been happy about things, but what I felt at that time during those days while my mom was dying in the hospital and the night she died was something else. It was uh, beyond simply being happy that something went down the way it did. Um, I don't know if this is making sense. Maybe I'm being too exact with the word gratitude. Um, But whatever it was, I had never felt it up until that point. Um, And since then, I have felt it repeatedly. Um, But at the time, it felt kind of like I was glad I put the work in and had the teachers I had, or I'd be like these other people that were freaked out and hanging on for dear life. And I certainly felt that when I looked at, at my aunt's behavior during that time. And, you know, she was a pain in the fucking ass. Um, She wasn't nice to anybody because she was hurting. Um, I feel it now uh, when I look at the behavior of some of the people um, in our culture around certain issues. um, I'm just very glad to have had the path I've had. I feel very fortunate, Um, I'm very lucky. So, um, let's look at death. Um, I'd always been, uh, brought up with the concept of the body being a vessel that we were souls here for a temporary time. In fact, my mom was adamant about me going to viewings and funerals as a kid. And she was adamant about me approaching the casket, which at the time felt like a fucking drag. Um, but now I'm glad she made me do it. It instilled that idea kind of into my subconscious that, you know, so when I was faced with it, you know, more and more growing up, you know, you get older, people start dying. My mind already had a reference for it or it already had context, if that makes any sense. So I know I want to talk about this, but I guess I just don't really know where to start when it comes to the death of, you know, my mom, my dad. Um, I guess just tell the story. I don't, I don't know. Um, so my dad died about 15 years ago of cancer um, and it was wild. It was wild to watch someone die. Um, I don't mean the physical process of death. I'm talking more about what his mind went through, how his mind had to recognize itself to accept his fate. That makes sense. Um, to accept that it was going to die. The mind was accepting it. Not, it's, you know what I mean? Um, it wasn't easy. It was, it was rough, but, um, you know, I hope I have an eighth of his courage when it's my turn, you know? Um, in fact, I remember we were sitting in the living room. We were in, there was two recliners, my mom and dad's chairs watching TV. And this must have been like pff, two weeks before he died, but um, we we're just sitting there and out of nowhere he goes, well, I guess we'll see what all this shit's about, huh? And I thought that was so cool. You know, you want to talk about radical acceptance? You know, there was another time a few days before he died, um, his friend was over. My dad was uh, laying in bed and his friend was staying at the foot of the bed. And I didn't know the guy, but it was a friend of my dad's. But he was kind of holding my dad's big toe. (laughs) And he goes, it's just a shame. And my dad goes, how would you rather this happens? It has to happen. That's fucking wild. Can you imagine like, that's heavy shit. Think about that. It's over. It's done. And he's saying things like that. You know, I mean, so many people, especially in the spiritual game, think that they, that they could accept it or that they would accept all of it. You know, they get real cavalier about it, too. But are you ready? Fuck. I mean, I'd like to think that I could muster that, but shit, man, I have no idea. I have no fucking clue. That's what I've really learned. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do because it's going to happen, right? Um, I watched my mom go through, uh, you know, what she went through for 14 years after was essentially her hoping for death after my dad died every time she got sick. And she wasn't that strong. But then again, you know, she didn't have the time that he had. It was like three or four weeks, you know, um, Hers was kind of fast uh, comparatively, you know, compared to his. So my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, He drank and smoked through chemo and radiation. Uh, And I mean, you know, he thought he was going to die. So I guess he thought, fuck it. But then his doctor killed the cancer. And he literally stopped drinking and smoking immediately. He lived five years and died. Um, In fact, the day that... um, they, Dr. Bertrand was his oncologist. She told him, my mom and dad were in the office, and she told them that that it was gone. And, you know, she, you know, told him, like, look, you have five years. Um, she told him ahead of time, like, you'll have five years if I can kill it. He died five years to the day, just about. But um, my mom busted my dad's balls. Like she was like, you know, he's still drinking and smoking. And the doctor got up and gives my dad a hug and goes, I worked really hard to give you five years. And that day he quit smoking and drinking. Um, But before that, when he was going through chemo and radiation, he was drinking a lot. Um, I remember he'd get drunk and just start laughing and crying. And he'd say, I know... Wait, what did he say? He would say, I know how I'm going to die and you people still don't know what's going to kill you. So... (laughs) You know, it wasn't always great, uh, graceful in the beginning, right? Um, it's it's sloppy. That is sloppy. Uh, but there's one really interesting moment that will always stick with me. Um, once uh, when he and I we we're driving to get bait, we we're going to the bait shop, and he was being kind of quiet. Uh, we were in a '67 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, um, and he had just been told that they killed the cancer, and so I said. I remember I was sitting in the passenger seat, I remember saying, um, man, it's wild, they, you know, you, you're gonna live. Which, in hindsight, like, I you know, but he goes, yeah, that's what they say. And I go, well, you don't seem happy about it. And he goes, I spent months preparing to die and they took that away from me. I found that very interesting. I mean, it kind of showed me that dying was a mind game. Um, He had truly prepared to die, and I get his sentiment about it being taken away from him. You know, he had all of this mental momentum, and now he was going to have to start over. Think about that. That's fucking crazy. So, you know, for the next five years, um, every time he sneezed or got a headache or anything, he thought his cancer was back. He lived with that fear in the back of his head. One thing that he did that was really cool, um, after he died, uh, my aunt and my cousin were cleaning out his truck, and they found this notepad with my name on it. It said, my nickname's Kit, and um, it said Kit, and it was a journal or kind of a diary he kept while he was going through chemo and radiation, because he wanted me to know what he went through, and the last line said, well, they say I'm going to live, so I guess I'll burn this. And he didn't. I still have it. Took me a long time to read it. I, it was a long time. Um, I still have it. I can't. I can barely remember what it says. I should probably look at it. But, um, oh, it's, it's wild, right? Like it's one of those things that. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the point in sharing any of this is. Um, other than I guess I'm just sharing, but. Um, something uh, I did with both my mom and dad's deaths was I would sit and look at them and try to imagine how it's gonna feel to be them you know to be bearing down on the end you know I'd uh, I'd watch them struggle and suffer and I'd feel myself wanting to do something I'd experience the outrage we all feel when we see our loved ones suffer but What I was experiencing was my own pain, meaning that um, if they weren't suffering, I could feel comfortable and content. Like their pain and suffering was making me uncomfortable. Get it? I mean, that's what it's about. That's what that's about anyway. That outrage you feel, check in with that. Check in with with unflinching honesty and you'll see that that that's more about you than them. You know, our minds don't like to see the deterioration of another human, much less our loved ones. It's it's, it's too much of a reminder for the psyche, right? Um, we just, it's like when when we're dealing with the death of somebody like that, and, you know, when you, uh, mainly parents, like for somebody that's like a caregiver, we just want everything to go back to normal, you know? Um, and I've written about it uh, before. But there was this time I told my mom that once my this, I told my mom that once my dad died she could heal and move on and her response was I would take care of him in that state for the rest of my life cuz that's my guy. And I said what I said out of my own discomfort and not the benefit of my mom. I just wanted everything to feel the way it did before all this. You know, um it's important to look at these things and not out of like self-flagellation or to berate ourselves or beat ourselves up but to acknowledge that there is an ego involved and that ego is scared always look at your fear right like that's the that's the fire that burns all this shit to ash um i guess so the morning my dad died uh, we had this her name's Susan, she's a family friend. She's a hospice nurse. And she was there for a lot of people's deaths. Um, But she woke me up uh, and she said, uh, Kit's my nickname. She said, uh, Kit, he's leaving. (laughs) Kit, he's leaving. It was like a weird dream. And there was like kind of a delay, but I got up and I walked across the hall to his room. Um, I heard his last groan, his last breath, and that was it. I walked in the room, my cousin Neil just looked over and said, he's gone, Kit. That was it. (laughs) You know, everyone stood there for a moment, you know? Um, And then they just kinda let me be there with his body. So, um, you know, I sat down, I held his hand, cried, just looked at the body. And it just hit me that he was there, but that wasn't him. Like, he's here, but it's the body. It's not the body. It's not associated with the body. It's not the body. Um, I didn't feel and have never felt a sense of loss with it. It's strange. Um, The thing that made my dad, dad, wasn't the body, right? Um, My mind, of course, needed form. uh, But something else kind of deep in my bones understood that, that was just the mind. Um, it It was just like a weird dream. Like a piece of me really absorbed and realized that, you know, not just knew it, but like it just that this body, it's like the word antenna I remember coming to mind, you know, that was like the antenna for life on this plane. It gives the subtle body a way to manifest in this dimension so that the soul can work through its karma you know but there's there is a piece that hurt it still does but I just notice it you know I nod to it I give it a little smile <laughs> it's a horrible beauty of life as Ramdas would say um, you know later that day uh, <laughs> it came to get the body and that turned out to be another weird experience Um, so my parents lived in a big stilt house out on Lake Okeechobee. Uh, so we all kind of went under the house. Uh, you you parked cars, and it was a pretty big house. It was a large area under it. Um, and we just kind of all went down there while they kind of took care of the body. Um, well, apparently the gurney wouldn't fit up the stairs. (laughs) So this big dude had to wrap my dad up like a burrito in a white sheet. (laughs) throw him over his shoulder, and carried him down the stairs. And I could feel what my dad would say in that moment, and it made it kind of funny to me. But I was standing with my grandfather, like my dad's dad, um, and he said, don't look. But of course, I did. (laughs) I wanted the full experience, man. I wanted to soak it up. I wanted all the juice. Uh, You know, if we're not going to walk toward the fire, then what the fuck are we doing here? But I turned around and watched, and it was so weird. It's like, there's your dad in that sheet. That lifeless heap is the body or the symbol that your mind referred to as dad and in turn produced a feeling in my body based on that symbol. It's trippy stuff, man. Like... It's very strange. Um, I feel it's important to understand the nature of things and in order to do that, we gotta break things down to what they really are. And that's symbols. So, it was wild, man. Uh, The rest of the day, we just kinda cleaned up the house and went through things. It was weird. It was the first time uh, this happened and certainly not the last time that I would experience this, but my mind was okay, right? Like, my mind was fine. Uh I wasn't ruminating or experiencing like quote unquote sad thoughts, but from time to time my body would like cry. It would like it would shake and cry and I would just let it out, you know. But I clearly saw that it was my body kind of moving grief, right? It was weird. But I was able to just watch it. And it I could it's like I could feel it. It was weird. It's like it would move from my stomach out of my mouth, like up my chest, out of my throat. Um, There's so many stories about my dad facing his mortality that um, I mean, I could share them, but this podcast would be fucking really long. (laughs) I mean, the ordeal lasted five years for him and I don't know if that's good or bad, you know? I guess it depends on where he was attached, I don't know. Um, I think the hardest part of my dad's death or transition or whatever is the way it affected my mom. Um, it changed holidays and all that for her, uh, and that in turn changed things for me. Um, it changed how we interacted with one another. It was wild. Um, something my mom used to say that was really neat is she'd say, I miss your dad's mind the most. found that really touching. Um... A few times she said that she used to see him standing on the porch. They had a wraparound porch like, and you'd look at, like she could see him after he died, like standing there, plain as day, just watching the river. There's a rim canal or a river that goes around Lake Okeechobee, I don't know, doesn't matter, but <laughs> the, the geography of South Florida. Um, but it used to make her happy and it didn't make her happy because she was seeing him. It made her happy because she thought that meant she was gonna die soon. And she just couldn't find a point to life after he died, you know? You know, when the subject of, like, being with another man would come up, right? Or whatever, she'd be like, I was married to Keith Welsh. Everyone else would just bore me. You know, my dad was a wild guy. You know, he definitely kept things interesting for um, Some of you listening to this might be friends and family that knew him, and you can attest. <laughs> anyway, um... The death of my mom was a bit faster and harder for me. Um, We were best friends, uh, but we were both convinced the other one was completely full of shit and wrong about everything. (laughs) But we were best friends. Um, So uh, she checked herself into Gardens Hospital in Palm Beach Gardens with shortness of breath. Her doctor was doctor, let's let's not do that. but they gave her contrast, that shit they give you to do a CT scan. So they did the CT scan, found that she needed a stent. Um, the contrast they gave her trashed her fucking 84 year old kidneys. Um, they put her on dialysis for fucking days and days and days, weeks I believe. But she was on dialysis the majority of the time that she was in the hospital. Uh, they had her on dialysis while she was in the hospital. Uh, they got her kidney straight. They did the surgery. But when they extubated her, something happened. And she couldn't swallow. Um, they tried therapy to get her to swallow. Um, and so after weeks of the rigmarole of being in the hospital, uh, having her 84 year old body and her mind taxed and pushed to its limits she refused a fucking feeding tube and eventually died in the ICU um, the last night that I read about that I was reading out of that that post that um, wasn't in that post was so, Things were hard and dark. and But one day I came into the hospital and I could hear her laughing before I got to the room. And it was the most alert and awake that she had been in 10 fucking years. And I remember I saw um, some family in the hallway like, oh, she's doing great. I was like, oh. And the first word that came to my mind was, was a... Uh, was Faye. Um, Fay is a word that used to be in the dictionary. I don't know if it still is, but hospice nurses can tell you about Fay. Something happens right before death where it's like the person is more awake and alert than they've ever been. Like the room is like bright and shiny. It's right before they die. And I walked in and I just couldn't get excited. I couldn't get hopeful because I knew like, A piece of me was relieved, and a piece—it's just—it's confusing, man. It's death. It's fucking. It's a mess. But the next day, um, I went in, and it was bad. She couldn't even talk. Um, And I asked her nurse for Ambien, and she said, "Well, Doctor Pre—I'm not gonna say his name." Dr. Uh, Blank said that she can't swallow, so don't give her Ambien. And I said, pretty sure we're looking at an end of life scenario here. And she goes, you never know. And I said, okay. So I started to think. I went back to my room, or to my mom's room. Um, That's right. So before that, yep, that's why I did that. So before that, she was saying, I want to die, right? and I went out there and tried to get Amy. When I came back was when she kept looking at me going, I'm not good, she was asking me to kill her. She was saying, kill me. And I can say this. I don't think the people that can't hear that are listening to this, i.e. family that think I'm an idiot. Um, but she was begging me to kill her. And um, I... Uh, was calm they kept breathing and I went out I found a different nurse and I go look I found this guy and I said hey my mom's asking me to kill her um if I could just have some ambient dude <laughs> and he said yeah man, I'll go get it for you and so I crushed it up and I put it in a little cup of water and I stirred it up and then I used a straw and like would just I'd like drop her it under her tongue. And um that then she finally fell asleep. Um but it was weeks, uh I thought it was like four weeks. I guess I, I just, if I, I wrote that thing really a couple of days after, so I guess it was three weeks. Um and it was fucking brutal for her, man. Uh she was a fiercely independent bad bitch. <laughs> She thought she was just having a procedure done that was fairly routine, but nothing worked out, you know, um, conventionally speaking, the best case scenario for her was that she went to an assisted living facility after all of that. So after all that shit, best case scenario was we put that woman in an assisted living facility. But if I'm honest, her death was the best case scenario. She would have hated being locked up in a fucking home. I mean, things happened the way they should have in the long run. And all this COVID shit would have been really hard on her as well. Being isolated and all that. Dude. (laughs) I know what she would have said. I know what she would have said. She would have been like, we're all going to die anyway. (laughs) Um... You know, and the truth, she wanted to leave Earth since dad died. You know, that was the love of her life. And she felt that her life, her work was over. Her husband was gone and her son was raised. That woman's work was done. And, you know, since I'm doing this, I should be honest. Like, if I'm going to talk shit (laughs) and do this fucking podcast, you know, I feel like... I owe it to whoever's listening, to be honest. And the truth is, fuck, people die, man. Moms die, dads die. And the truth of that, that reality, if that hits you sideways, look at why. Why does it hurt? Why is that offensive to you? When I say that, you know, like when I say that, what do you hear? When I tell you that, what do you hear? Moms die, dads die. That's the fact of life. Everyone dies. Better yet, ask yourself what hurts. What is offended? Not who, not why, but what. So uh, the next day after she died, I drove to her house. Um, I wanted to sit in the chair that I used to sit in when I would go and talk to her, you know, damn near every day. It was this uh, big rocking chair, and I'm not sure why I wanted to do that. Maybe I thought I could push through the grief. Maybe I thought I could process it faster and get it over with. Uh, But what kept coming to mind for me was um, this slogan in the Lojong practice that says, uh, pain is the doorway to awakening. Meaning that like when things are good, it's easy, right? When you're only, you know, when you're it's good vibes only, yoga's easy. Can you do yoga during grief? Can you do your fucking practice when the shit hits the fan? In fact, when things are good, practice is easy, right? It gets easy. The trick is, you know, like I said, being able to practice when it hurts. Can you sit in meditation when it hurts the most? Can you sit quietly and follow your breath when you're crying? You know, when the pain is so fucking loud in your head that you can't even hear your own thoughts. That's when it matters. So when I got to her house, I sat in that rocking chair and I cried. Um, I made sounds I've never heard myself make. (laughs) It sounded like Chewbacca, man. I was just like wailing into the air. I remember hanging my head back off the chair and just crying really, really, really loud. Um, (laughs) I remember being concerned what the neighbors would think. Um, Before that, uh, while I was driving to her house, though, um, I was kind of out loud asking myself, "What what died, what died, what died, what died, what died? over and over, whispering it to myself over and over, and I was crying and whispering, and I knew that she wasn't the body. I knew it deep, but it was a thought exercise, right? Like, I couldn't come up with a what, right? Like, with a what that had died other than the body, and I know she's not the body. Again, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, right? You know, um, there's a story about a monk, and he found his teacher crying on the side of a road, Uh, and the teacher's daughter had died, and he said, teacher, don't you know it's all an illusion? And the teacher said, yeah, but your kids are the strongest illusion. Um, and then step two was I started to whisper over and over. I was like, I was going, who died, who died, who died, who died, who died. Not what. I'd switch to who, who died, who died over and over. Well, um, now since she's not the body, um, I couldn't come up with a who. She wasn't the body. So I couldn't, I couldn't, my my mind, my heart couldn't come up with a who. I couldn't feel a who. And I felt it deeply. I couldn't come up with a logical who that had died. Um, I want you to understand something. This doesn't mean that it didn't hurt me. This doesn't mean I wasn't crying. That's what's wild about death. My mind was okay with the logic of all of it, right? But there's still feelings in the body. And I could have very easily started to lose my anchor and get confused by that. But thankfully, I have good teachers. And I've been diligent. And practice doesn't mean that you don't get hurt. Okay? Practice means that you can hurt. And you don't fucking lose it. You're not white-knuckling it, you're not, but you're just there hurting. Remember, karma isn't what happened. Karma is how the mind relates to what happened. Karma is not the event. Um. So after, so I was like, you know, what died, what died, what died who, died, who died, who died, who died. Um. Finally, the last one was like, I just kept going, I just kept saying, like, where'd you go, where'd you go, where'd you go, where'd you go, where'd you go? And it was fucking crazy. It was kind of cool out. March in South Florida's, cold for us <laughs> it's probably 70 um and uh it was March so it was windy and the wind it was really sunny out there's no clouds and this gust hit these trees I think they're rubber trees I don't know if there's palm trees and all stuff and the trees all kind of bent and the way the sun uh, reflected off the leaves it, it moved me man and I realized that she wasn't anywhere she was nowhere, That there was nowhere to go, right? It was like, it was like the sun, right? <laughs> the only thing that changes about the sun is my relationship to it. Dig that? Sun doesn't go anywhere. Sun is just doing sun. The earth moves, you go inside, whatever, right? Or an ice cube. You know, those H2O molecules that make up an ice cube don't go anywhere when it melts. They don't go anywhere. They just go into the atmosphere. They don't go anywhere. They're still here. But my relationship to those molecules, that changes. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, the, cl- the cloud doesn't cry when it becomes rain. So uh, now we get left with uh, you know this question of what happens after death right well who fucking cares or more importantly what cares what in you wants the answer what in you is attached to this and wants more cuz that's what the afterlife shit's about right you want more why does it matter like is it because you want like you want your great Fucking reward? Can't you just be here, right? Or is it fall in that old Protestanty, Catholicy, Christiany shit where like if you don't act right here, you're gonna get punished later? So we got it matters. The afterlife only matters if you believe in punishment and reward, right? What if there's no punishment and reward? Why do you care? Is the ego, is, is is it the ego that wants more like sense gratification, right? More enjoyment, more love, more first kisses, more laughs, yada, yada, yada. I don't know. I know that uh, these are the hard things to look at. What in you wants it? Right? The path gets steep there. That's where it gets real fucking steep. So you better get a fucking rope. These are the questions. This is, this is it, man. And if these questions hurt you, this might not be for you. Go back to sleep. Stay asleep. Like Chilgyam Trungpa uh, said, he showed up three hours late and drunk to a fucking Dharma talk. And he said, the spiritual path is one insult after another. No, wait. This, yeah, it's one insult after another to the ego. So just go get your money back. I love that. It's hard. Everybody wants to wake the fuck up. They want to hold a singing bowl over their head and have their problems go away, but that's not how this works. That's a fun thing to do, right? Mushrooms are fun. Yoga's fun. Meditation's fun. Breathwork makes you feel dizzy and lightheaded and fun. But where the rubber hits the road, those practices are only there to refine the nervous system so that you can do the real Shit. So, um, let's look at the feelings of grief and loss, right? What's going on with that? Um, all right. If all emotions, well, all emotions are there, they're, they're there because the mind creates the emotions so the body will feel something. So it'll do something right. That's what emotions are. They're feelings in the body to get the body to do something. You know, it's like a biological imperative to live so that you can make more of you to fuck. Essentially that's, Like, that's why you feel anything. These emotions are to get the body to do something, okay? But what's grief about, right? What the fuck is the mind trying to get the body to do? Well, it's trying to get it to connect. What's it trying to get it to connect to? It's trying to get it to connect to form. That's the confusion. The mind, since its default mode is to consider objects, It's trying to get the body to connect to another person's body. It's trying to get it to connect to form. Remember, the mind uses symbols. These symbols tell the mind what feeling to send into the body. If the person symbolizes safety, closeness, love, then the mind wants to see the form in order to feel that, to feel that love, right? But when the mind finds out that the form is damaged, and will uh, we'll no longer be able to present itself, the mind gets confused and, and it sends all these signals and, and chemicals into the body. So my work and my, at my day job when it comes to grief and loss, when I sit in a one-on-one with a client, I'm trying to reconnect the grieving person's mind to the thing that truly made their loved one who they were. And that was not their loved one's body and it works the mind gets rid of the disturbing image and only recalls pleasant pictures of the person that they're grieving for it changes the grief into like this like fond remembrance it it doesn't mean that the person's glad their loved one's dead but it 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 does lift the pain and it it just changes and some of you i know for a fact some of you listen to this podcast you know um either way uh it further shows me that this is all in the mind um or the mind's the one processing it if if we can give the mind new information and structure things a bit differently the body will feel different let's face it grief is physical right um think about like somebody died right and maybe you didn't cry um and you thought, well, I would, I should be sad about this. Why am I not sad? Well, when I've encountered people like that, and I go, what, you mean tell me you're not sad? They go, no, no, I'm sad, but I'm just not crying. Okay. So now we're using the body to decide what's real? I don't know. It's weird. It's interesting, right? When you think about that. like People say, like, I didn't even cry when my dad died. Well, I don't know, maybe not yet. What is fun is when people, when I do a grief and loss session, and they go... I just want to cry. And I'm like, you ready? Because I will make you cry. (laughs) Um, Always do. Uh, In the Bhagavad Gita, uh, one of my favorites, Krishna says, a wise man laments not for the living nor the dead. Uh, He also says, um, what's another one? Oh, Arjuna, you were never born and you will never die. He says, uh, there was never a time when you nor the men on this battlefield didn't exist. That's interesting, right? Um, But when I bring this up, some wise ass usually says, so should people just go kill themselves? Shit, man, I'm sorry that your mind works that way. (laughs) I'm sorry that when Krishna says you were never born and you will never die, your brain thought of suicide. Fuck, get a fucking therapist, talk to somebody, Jesus. But some of you, some of you, on the other hand, you hear that shit. You hear that you were never born and you will never die. You feel the birthless, deathless nature of this shit. You feel that. So, um, you know, one day, (laughs) I was in an altered state of consciousness after eating a lot of um, uh, fruit, right? Bananas, they do that to me, fuck me all up. I had this overwhelming feeling that nothing mattered, and it made me so fucking sad, I cried because I realized that nothing mattered. I realized that I didn't matter, the books don't matter, art doesn't matter, music doesn't matter, none of it fucking matters. It means nothing. It only means something to a mind that doesn't even have existence. A mind that is really just kind of this set of uh, subjective constructs that you know, they get formed by other subjective constructs and everybody's told what to feel. And they mean nothing. And I just cried. I truly, truly felt completely fucking hopeless. And, as these things go, after a few hours, that hopelessness flipped. Lucky I didn't do anything about it, right? It still didn't matter, but it like it's like it didn't matter in the most beautiful, fun way like, it didn't matter, like, the way a child makes art. It's just making art because, fuck it, it likes colors. Like, a kid doesn't give a shit. It's not thinking about whether or not uh, it's going to sell this piece, right? A kid builds a tree for it because it wants to. It just wants to, not because it has to. A kid just plays. Um, I remember how it felt, you know. I remember, like, I remember feeling that way. Remember how it felt to just be a kid and do things for no fucking reason other than I wanted to. Or it was fun. Or to make my friends laugh. I feel like my dad lived that way. My dad was like a kid. He just did what he wanted. That dude was a... He was feral. (laughs) So, you know, after that day of this experience of feeling this hopelessness and then realizing how beautiful that hopelessness and that meaninglessness is... Like after that day, my mind just, you know, did not suddenly act different. Why? Because it was just an experience, an experience where information was gathered, you know, like most experiences. And based on the last episode, I had an experience. So what needs to happen? What needs to happen after this crazy experience? I need to integrate it. So I've been working on being childish, just doing things to do things you know, not worrying about the outcome, just doing, just falling into my child ego and saying, fuck it. Let's have some fun with this birth. It doesn't matter. You're going to go to heaven anyway. Remember God is love. And if God is love, God loves. And if God is love, God is love. Fuck it. Just do what you want. Anyway, I hope I got to stop. I could. this is getting crazy. Um, I'm sorry, but I hope this was helpful. I hope it was informative. I hope that it makes you think. I hope it changes things for the better for you. Um, If you have any questions, reach out. Remember, ask. Ask. Don't forget to ask. We're old friends. Stop being so fucking weird, man. Jeez. Um, if you'd like to support this podcast or the work I'm trying to do with The Infinite Spark of Being, go to TheInfiniteSparkOfBeing.com, where you can find a link to the Patreon page and you can pledge to either spend $1, $5 a month, or you can buy two two books. I got two books. You can buy those. Want to buy books? Working on a third one. I'm happy so far. Um, or I have t-shirts on there. You can check out those t-shirts. Um, that's it. Death, dying, grief, and loss death of my parents, that's it.